Hey, pull up a chair. Tax on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Hey, Murphy. Hey there. Here we are, a couple of guys. We started <laughs> off this journey together, a couple of guys on a bar stool talking about a presidential race, and that's what we were going to do from now till November of 2020. And now what? Yeah. There is no presidential race. The whole presidential race are, it turns out to be Donald Trump on a platform in the White House briefing room two hours a day and nothing much else. So we're going to have to adapt and adjust here just as we're adapting and adjusting in our lifestyles. Well, think about it. Two guys walk into a bar to talk about politics, but across the globe, a bat walks into a somewhere in China and here we are. Here we are. So tell me, how are you? Uh, you're you're somewhere in your secret location in the West. I'm I'm here underground in Los Angeles, California, in the undisclosed location. How are you handling the uh, the new life of being? What's the official phrase? We don't <laughs> shelter in place now. We we isolate at home or something like that. What are you up to? I'm doing great, man. And I feel guilty about doing great. I mean, I'm uh, my wife Susan and my dog Mac. Uh, we're bunkered in together in a nice spot. I'm doing fine. I, I, I worry about all these folks who uh, are being laid off. I worry about all these folks who have all this uncertainty. And I worry about all these folks who are getting sick. And so I'm feeling a little guilty because I, I'm doing fine. But the country is not right now. Yeah, no, it's a rough patch. I'm actually hoping to get the virus now simply because we have a six-year-old at home with no school and I could use a little peace and quiet in the ICU. Yeah. But uh, it is uh, it is a tough time. And, you know, the problem is when you're sitting around at home and not slavishly listening to our podcast, you know, you turn on cable TV, which is uh, both a disturbing avalanche of news from the White House and a bunch of scary, often a little speculative you know, kind of high and low stuff uh, about all this. So it's just a really tough time. One thing we've done that's helped, and I think a lot of people are doing, is break out the GoToMeeting or the Zoom or whoever will sponsor us, and then I'll say it three times, and talk to friends, you know, FaceTime digitally, where you can kind of connect to your wider circle of friends and family. And it's really helpful. We, uh, we've been yeah, doing I'm a lot of that. I'm trying to figure out, we're, we're doing a lot of thinking about how we keep, and you probably are too, uh, our Institute of Politics community together at the mm -hmm. University of Chicago, you know, and all of a sudden the spring was wrenched from us. These young people were dispersed and um, we, we were trying to figure out how to do programming and how to provide useful both information, diversion, opportunities to volunteer. So, you know, everybody's adapting and adjusting and we'll uh, hopefully uh, this won't go on for for too very long, but probably longer than the president would like, based on what he said. I was going to say, he, he told me to get ready on my social calendar for next week. I guess they will be back out at the uh, Polka Hall because everything's going to return to normal. Well, why don't we? Why don't we turn from our? Respective... I don't want to see you polka. I don't want to see you doing <laughs> oh, the polka. Oh, people pay. To be people pay big you. money. Stay indoors. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, the one thing about L.A. because it's a car town is what people are doing, and I have done this: is you you socially isolate in your car, and you just go out for a twenty minute drive around the not completely empty, but far less traffic 
like streets. It's like the Omega Man, I mean, in a humorous way. You can zip around Los Angeles in a way that was unimaginable and, uh, and then find a park without a lot of people around and take a little walk. I'm, uh, you know, down in Arizona in the Phoenix area, and this is the first time that I can see the mountains clearly, that there's no haze because there's no, you know, there's so few right, cars right. on the road. All that smog that has become sort of uh, a way of life uh, doesn't exist. Yeah, we're going to hop in the car today and take a, uh, a take a ride into the mountains. So I have a question for you. You 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 uh, you've got a nice little place down there in Arizona, Key Swing State. You've been known to be in Southwest Michigan in summers, Key Swing State, and you're from Chicago. Are you voting in all three places since two presidential critical states are involved, or do you still vote in uh, in good old Chicago? I'm hoping you're committing minor fraud here, because I would if I, I I I refuse to answer on the grounds <laughs> that I may. No, man, we are assiduous followers of the rules. Good, uh, I know so you are. We, I know you but, are. But uh, but it wouldn't be a hacks on tap if you didn't get a, a multiple Chicago voting joke in. So yeah, I know. I'm trying for one every week box. now. I, I'm going to keep them up till the virus is defeated, and then then I will bury <laughs> okay, them yeah. once and for all so uh, they yeah, can vote. Like. Uh, I don't think that the eradication of the virus will kill that German you <laughs> that causes you to beat that thing to death. So anyway, um, but let, let's, let's talk about where we are because in fact the race is on hold in some ways, but it goes forward. We'll talk a little bit later about how the president of the United States having denied the, uh, magnitude of this thing for a long time finally realized how serious it was i think when the market started crashing yeah and decided that he himself was going to conduct these briefings at the white house and they've become quite the spectacle and for about five days he was a wartime president we were hunkered down for the long fight people were going to have to sacrifice people were going to have to separate and then in a 24-hour period, starting with a tweet and then his briefing yesterday, everything changed. Let's, let's listen to some of what he had to say yesterday. Now, do we have to? America will again and soon be open for business, uh, very soon, a lot sooner than uh, three or four months that somebody was suggesting, a uh, lot sooner. We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. We're not going to let the cure be worse than the problem. At the end of the 15-day period, we'll make a decision as to which way we want to go, where we want to go, the timing. Yeah. In other words, the general is, is going to surrender in 15 days. And look, and clearly that's where he's headed, that you know he wants businesses to open. He's worried about the economy. He's worried about the economy, I think, largely because he was counting on it to help him get reelected. And now he realizes we're, we may be in a deep recession, self-inflicted as a means of dealing with this virus. But, you know, there are lots of Americans, millions and millions of Americans for whom the economic anxiety is, is as great or greater than any fear of uh, getting sick or inflicting illness uh, on others. And so he is making a, a cynical calculation. But I think we ought yeah. to just chat, chat about 
uh, whether it is a smart calculation. Well, th- this is going to give me a little whiplash, and it's not a phrase you hear on Hacks on Tap often, but I'm going to semi-defend the president, right? Oh, my God, I feel the, the wave of pain. Now, Which this is, is this is good. This is this well, is unusual. Yeah, and I mean, I agree with all this criticism. I have some of my own, um, and I think every time he tries to communicate, the situation psychologically in the country gets worse. Uh, but there are two pandemics here. There's the viral pandemic, the public health crisis, uh, and then there's the economic pandemic. It's going to cause, and Trump, because he doesn't have any empathy, cannot. And he has no respect for science, is just not naturally equipped to both understand, explain, or lead on the viral pandemic. The economic pandemic, he kind of does understand, although through for him it's through the prism of the Dow Jones and wealth and uh, probably thinking about his own businesses, too. And so yeah. – which, cons- which have taken a beating the, yeah, yeah, the post uh, – his, his businesses all had to close down in the days before he – he uh, made this announcement, so I'm sure he's taking a, a real beating here. But I think what we're seeing kind of semi-transparently is the rusty cogs in his head spinning, trying to grapple with the one he understands better. And he is looking at South Korea and other examples to see how you kind of go back online. Friedman's pushing kind of an interesting theory about all that. So Tom Friedman. And yeah, the Tom Times, Friedman. Yeah. The idea basically you put the country on vacation for 14 or 18 days and then you have mass testing to let low risk people get in. Governor Cuomo, who now has the hit TV show Cuomo at 11 a.m. Uh, every day, uh, is starting to kind of adopt this argument. So I think. Part of it, through Trump's all, all his failures and shortcomings, he's just kind of focused on the coming economic pain and trying to get in front of that better than he did on the viral thing, which he basically ignored. Now, I, I agree with you. It's still ultimately for him about his own self-interest because that's all he really cares about. But I, I think in his own way, he's zeroed in on the the part of the crisis he kind of understands or he's trying to. Now, the problem is he's doing it with social Darwinism, you know, 10, 20 million tops. He's doing George C. Scott from Strangelove. But I, I, I think I think in his own kind of ethically and emotionally crippled way, he's trying to deal with what he thinks the big problem is. That's the best Trump defense I can mount. Look, I think most Americans are going to experience uh, the uh, this virus or the effects of this virus in a significant way uh, economically. And um, the the problem with being a wartime president is that wartime presidents ask for sacrifice from people and steal people to what they're going to have to deal with and then provide the relief that they can. And his approach is to sort of will it away. But I, you know, what he's setting up here, it's everything is sort of comfortably falling back in place. Remember the, the beginning of this crisis, he was denying it. There'd be 15, maybe less people affected by it because we've handled it so well. And Fox News and all of his amen corner in the right picked up on that. And this was all a left-wing plot to try and stop the president. Uh, and then when, you know, people started getting infected and people started dying, he switched tone and they switched tone. And now we're back into this rubric with which they're more comfortable, which is the squishy liberals and scientists uh, want us to self-immolate, but we're not going to do it and we're not going to let them take our economy down you had this knucklehead lieutenant governor in uh, Texas announcing yesterday that uh, lots of grandparents out there in this country like me would be willing to risk the consequences of COVID-19 instead of watching the economy suffer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the same crowd that 
uh, was warning us about 10 years ago about death panels, you know, these fictitious death panels if we passed the Affordable Care Act. Now what they're saying basically is, well, yeah, millions of, of older people may have to die, uh, but uh, that that's okay. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to let them stand in the way of, of putting our economy back in order. Um, so this is a fight politically that I think the president kind of understands. He wants, he has to have enemies. Yeah. And now the enemies are going to be, you know, the squishy liberals and the scientists who want to throttle down our economy. Yeah. Look, I, I do think he thinks his fight is economy over everything. The problem is there in reality, as opposed to inside Trump's head, there there is no fight because the virus and the economy are the same thing. If we if the pandemic rages completely out of control and a lot of people get sick, putting aside how many people who are vulnerable die People are put out of action. The supply chain closes down. The economy closes down. Look at the Chinese GDP, you know, in the last uh, 90 days. So the the president is trying to create a political fight out of a false choice um, because it's all interconnected. And you got even Lindsey Graham and uh, uh, Cheney and others kind of making that point now because yeah. they're more reality connected than he is. I, I think what's going to happen, I hinted at this last week, you're going to start seeing publicly more and more what's happened privately in a lot of Trump things, especially when the stakes are high, which is when Trump said his worst, he's better when the stakes are low and he can be entertainment, is people are just going to start the Trump workaround. I think more people are tuning in to watch Andrew Cuomo explain what's going on than they are Donald Trump. Trump now has kind of became, become this kind of silly sideshow uh, in the afternoon. It's like the old five o'clock follies during the Vietnam War at the Rex Hotel in Saigon. And I think yeah, that's why Fauci has become a star. He's he's transferred his rallies to the right, right. press room at the uh, White House. You know, he gets his jibes in at the media and his political enemies right, right. and, you know, makes sideways comments about Mitt Romney having to isolate and, yeah yeah all the uh, trump you know antics. he is basically he's hungry for exposure but they're starting to filter that and i think this is going to catch on do you the way the media uh, they broke away from the speech yesterday everybody but fox of course uh, i think you're going to start seeing more of that and i think people want the better information so trump's going to devalue himself well the sad thing about that is that you know the those briefings started off the right way they were supposed to be you know the government imparting information that is useful to people and they relied heavily on scientists and to his credit other than the kind of uh sickening obsequiousness uh uh pence has been pretty good you know in mm -hmm. that regard well he knows and, how to like be a uh, you know, he's governor pretty professional as a yeah. briefer he knows how to be normal-ish. And Fauci's gone again. I wonder if he's going to gnaw the uh, duct tape away. And Listen, I know Tony Fauci because I was there during the H1N1 crisis, which, by the way, wasn't a disaster, as the president keeps suggesting, but was handled very professionally, largely because the president of the United States then listened to scientists like Tony Fauci about what needed to be done. I worried about Fauci from the beginning because, A, he's someone who is— uh, He's deft, and I think he's been trying to navigate the president, but he's also someone who is very devoted to science. Uh, I know him because we worked together uh, back in 2009 uh, during the H1N1 crisis, worked together. I mean, I, I was around when he was briefing, and uh, one of the reasons that went well, despite what President Trump has to say now, uh, was because the president listened to 
uh, scientists like Fauci. I think the country is comforted by Fauci. And, you know, but when the president said the other day he's become quite a TV star, that was a very bad sign because the president doesn't want any stars but him. And he certainly doesn't want stars who are going to contradict him, you know. It's like the old Stalin thing. You're walking down the hall and, you know, you salute Stalin as he walks by and then Stalin turns to the end. Who is that? Who is that general? And then two days later, that's the end. So, yeah, he's on the, the bad radar screen there. So here's a question for you. Do you think that as this thing goes forward, Trump, I think Trump's trying to evolve into into a more grown-up role here, but he can't. I, I don't think it's possible. Do you think this will evolve in a more insulty as the as the stress increases and the situation gets rougher, particularly in New York, or there will be less Trump, he will back off the battlefield, or it will just be more of the same? Because Trump, as we both know, is hypersensitive to criticism and what he hears about himself on television. There will never be less Trump. There will never be less Trump because Trump believes that he is the key to Trump's success. And so he and he needs that. He needs he needs the camera, you know, like uh, like human beings need water. He, He has to have it. And so there will never be less Trump. What there will be is a ratcheting up of blame and finger pointing because this is going to be a really difficult period. And there is, you know, as he famously has said during this crisis, I don't take any responsibility. He will make it someone else's responsibility. And if New York becomes worse and worse, he will blame New York and New Yorkers. He keeps noting that, well, you know, Iowa's doing well and Idaho's doing well and Nebraska's doing well. Those governors must be doing a good job, which is just so incredibly ignorant and words he may come to regret, you know, as time goes on the nature of viruses being uh, what they are. So I don't think he's going to, um, I don't think he's going to get better here. I don't think he's going to mature into the role of a crisis leader. I think he's going to do what Trump does, which is his go-to plays, you know? Yeah, I think he's actually going to get worse because he's going to double down on the Trumpism and try to pick fights because he's comfortable doing that. And you can smell the panic on him. He doesn't have the confidence he used to have. So that, I think, is going to compound into worse behavior. But let's go back to Cuomo for a minute. Uh, Cuomo for vice president. Um, do you think there'd be a boomlet? I know Biden made the, in my view, ill-advised, <laughs> yeah. you know, locked himself into a corner where he's got to pick one of five people. But eh, I don't know. I think Cuomo's making if, – if, if if, as we look back at this in eight weeks uh, – and see how Cuomo actually does with what he can control of this, which is not a lot. I think there's going to be some interest in that because he's the anti-Trump now. He he looks like raw competence and honesty versus bluster and incompetence. Or am I crazy? No. Well, you may be crazy, but not about this. Um, I, I don't know <laughs> that I don't know that uh, he will be reconsidered. But l- let's listen to a little bite of him and why uh, people have found him comforting in a time of real crisis if ever there's a time to practice humanity the time is now the time is now to show some kindness show some compassion to people show some gentility even as a new yorker yeah we can be tough yes this is a dense environment it can be a difficult environment it can also be the most supportive courageous community that you have ever seen 
And this is a time for a little gentility. It's a time for a smile when you're walking past someone. Uh, It's a time for a a nod. Uh, It's a time to say hello. It's a time for patience. Uh, And don't let the little things get you annoyed. That's New York at its best. Yeah, you know, so that was him as the sort of comforter-in-chief, and then as the briefer-in-chief, he's been very effective, so much so that the cables are picking his briefing up in the morning, and and there were reports that the president's people watch his briefing to get some cues as to what they should be doing later. But I just, you know, uh, first of all, Biden has locked himself in uh, on the VP, and I don't think he's going to move off of that. Um, secondly, it's hard to imagine Andrew Cuomo as anybody's number two. Yeah, that's the other part of it. I agree with that. I don't know how that relationship would work. Uh, I, I I don't put much store in that, but I understand why, having watched him through this crisis, I do understand why he is, uh, he is getting the buzz he is right now. The guy who's not getting buzz is Biden. And, you know, on election night, uh, it, it seems crazy that it's been just a week since those last three mm-hmm. primaries, every day seems like a year yep. uh, right now. But it was just a, a week ago. He basically sealed the nomination. And I said that night, you know, his big problem is going to be the president is going to command unlimited attention now. He's going to have the platform. And the, the challenge is how do you break in? He has no official responsibilities Andrew Cuomo does in the hottest spot in the country. All the governors do. He has no official responsibilities or no role to play. So I'm asking you as a strategist, because he has basically disappeared and he's been attacked for it. You know, he's issued a he issued a statement yesterday. They, for reasons unbeknownst to me, scheduled it opposite Andrew Cuomo's briefing, which everybody knew was being carried live. So they didn't get any attention for it. Yeah, he basically disappeared. You're sitting in Biden's camp. What do you do? Well, that's a that is the question for them. Uh, the The problem is there there is no traditional platform for Joe right now because there's no campaign, and because of social distancing, you can't do big public events. I don't think that is a complete loss for Biden because he tends to default to shouting at the rafters and those things. So I think they've been kind of wobbling around trying different stuff. They built a little set by his house to do direct video stuff. They've had technical troubles. And Joe was not the king of the direct-to-camera remark anyway. Again, competence and uh, empathy are, are I think, the, the pillars he ought to build his campaign on. So what I would be thinking about if I were them, one, I would avoid the temptation of jumping in the news cycle to criticize Trump. They get all that for free. There's a chorus of people doing it. The question is, who is Biden during this crisis and how do they find a platform? And I think what people want, and they get some of it from Cuomo, and I think they could take a lesson from this, is they want facts, calm competence, and reassurance. So I would reach back into the playbook, and I can't believe for the second time we're looking at the old Jerry Ford campaign here, but they had kind of a clunky communicator of a candidate who was seen as being very decent, though. And to kind of get the best out of Ford, they came up with this idea of having these chats. Uh, Sometimes they did town halls and they had these conversations with, you know, Joe Garagiola, a personal idol of yours, I know, is a great baseball fan, who was this kind of likable. He'd been a pitchman for cars. Of course, he'd been, you know, in in pro baseball as a catcher. He he was this kind of likable everyman. And they did these conversations. Uh, 
I would be looking to do that kind of thing if I were Biden. I'd, I'd do one or two a week, probably if it's a hit, two or three. And I'd have these 30-minute conversations with somebody who can kind of get Biden to loosen up and talk, but also shut Biden up once in a while to take a question. Um, and I think they would become a hit. I think they'd be reassuring. I think it would be Biden at his best. And I think people would seek out that content. It would not be about con- conflict with Trump directly. It would not be the news cycle where the reporter's going to ask the third question about Hunter. Uh, it would just be, you know, uh, 30 minutes with Joe twice a week. Uh, and I think if they did it right, it could really become a thing and give Biden a good platform for the next two months uh, to kind of be there without making it all about politics or bad Biden, which you know doesn't move the ball forward. Yeah, I have to say you're probably the only person in America who would be referring back to the Jerry Ford campaign and Joe Garagiola. But it worked. Uh, the idea is good, and and I think you're right. That's a good format for Biden, but they have to find a way to communicate here. And right now they've been, uh, that that has failed. And look, the technical failures are baffling to me. You know, he, he has sufficient resources now and there are so many people who want to help. They ought to be able to at least make sure that, you know, the prompter doesn't break down, that the connections are good, that the thing looks like a, a, a professional broadcast. The truth of the matter is they, the way they're doing this, they could have pre-recorded his remarks, yeah, you know, and made sure that they were what they wanted them to be and just released it as a video. I don't understand these constant glitches, and that's something that they need to address. Well, it undercuts the competence thing. If they can't put together a live feed, then how's he going to handle Corona 3.0 in two years? You know, he... Uh, Competence is one of their signals, so the campaign has to exude competence, and this gets in the way. That's what the Trump people have picked up on. They're, you know, they have a problem in that they had a whole elaborate plan to take out Biden, and and it's it's unseemly to go full frontal now. But they are sniping at him about the quality of his broadcast and stuff. I don't know that it means anything. I don't know that anything means anything. You know, people say polling is not good for for Democrats because Trump has a good approval rating on how he's handling the virus right now. There were a couple of polls that had a majority approval. I think people want to rally around the president. Now, I don't think it necessarily is predictive of anything in November. And, you know, I think people should set that aside. You know, one guy who hasn't uh, taken the hint is Bernie Sanders, who had a town hall on the crisis with three members of the squad, AOC and some of the others on Sunday night. Still hasn't indicated what he's going to do, though the die is obviously cast about the nomination. Do you think that matters at all? No, I, you know, the very fact is we had to kind of get prompted here by you to even talk about Bernie. I think all the problems that Biden has about there's no traditional campaign to engage in as a platform are much worse for Bernie because he's heading off into Lyndon LaRouche world. I think his voters are more important than he is. And, you know, it's up to Biden to find a way over time to to get to them by grabbing some of the romance of the cause. But Bernie himself, Bernie campaign events, I think they're they might as well be in Nome, Alaska at this point. You know, here's the one problem with it. Once if if Bernie were to stand down, the DNC could do a lot of work for Biden here. And until Bernie does, they are in an awkward sort of position in terms of how much they can actually do for Biden. So in that sense, Bernie's delay is inconvenient for the Biden campaign. One other thing that's going to be 
inconvenient for the Biden campaign. On balance is the likely absence of a convention. I don't see, you know, we just got the Olympics canceled. I don't see how they move forward on the execution of the July 15th is not that far off. And, um, you know, that's usually an opportunity to really burnish the candidate's message and so on. Now, they may be relieved if they think there's going to be friction between the Sanders people and and uh, the Biden people at the convention. But mm-hmm. generally, you want a convention, and generally that convention is a great way to kind of position yourself, uh, give people a deeper understanding of the candidate and the race. Doesn't look like they're going to have it. Yeah, it's interesting. This could be the year that killed the Iowa caucus, wounded the New Hampshire primary, and might murder the traditional convention. Because it reminds me of my, you know, hardworking union, the Writers Guild of America West. Every time there's a rally with some folk songs and a lot of angry speeches and we go out on strike, we teach the networks how to make uh, TV without writers. Well, we're going to teach politics this year how to do stuff without mass events like conventions. And once those changes have been made, they tend to stick around. Reality shows didn't go away when the writers came back. So they will probably invent some TV show of proxy voting to make a big media thing out of it. But it won't be anything like your traditional convention that, as you say, it is good for Biden uh, because of Sanders, who does appear to be the guy up in the hills who refuses to think the war is over. Um, wants to make trouble, it'll be a lot harder. But you're right. I, I don't see how they can execute a, a traditional convention in the in the new world. So they're going to invent something new, and parts of that will probably stick. Yeah, one of the things that uh, is going to have to be invented, perhaps, is how we accomplish voting in November, and can these states quickly and safely adopt mail-in voting or um uh, an early voting system that allows people to space out. We don't know where we'll be in November, but you know the scientists warn us that absent a vaccine, there could be another uptick in the flu by then, and we may be still in the soup. If that happens, that has dramatic implications for the election. If I were Trump, now maybe his people won't care, and they'll come tromping to the polling places anyway, but you know, for all this talk about how we can sacrifice the elderly, uh, he'd better look at the demo of his supporters. <laughs> no, if he believe me, he uh, the 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 vulnerable white people who are vulnerable to coronavirus, uh, elderly ones, are one of his best constituencies. So we ought to look at that. I just to go back to the election day point. I'm clinging to my Kreskin-like prediction that not only will we have a normal election day, it is important that we do because it could be a sign of return to normalcy post the, 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 the first wave of the novel coronavirus. But that said, I am a thousand percent for this bipartisan effort going on in Washington now to allocate $2 billion from the, you know, tidal wave of money we're throwing at this to prepare for much more, much more vote by mail to be ready in case I'm wrong and my hopes are dashed and we don't have the ability to have a traditional election day. We've got to be ready for it. And there there are some wheels turning, but there's not a lot of time to lose because it's going to be very hard to do. States that do not have a California or Washington state sort of big vote-by-mail system, uh, spinning that mm-hmm. up is going to be Colorado, cumbersome yeah. and tricky. Yeah, Colorado. So, But yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, I think every day we're not working on that is is not only dumb, it's bad for democracy. Yeah, I mean, you say it's a bipartisan effort, and I'm sure there are people on both sides who are interested in this. I think there was some resistance on the part of, uh, of uh, Leader McConnell to include that money there, which raises the issue of, as we speak, 
and I don't know at this hour uh, where it's at. Uh, you know, we we we're told that we're on the precipice of an agreement. My assumption is that Trump. You know, it's interesting. Schumer's dealing with Mnuchin. McConnell's hanging back because McConnell knows that if Trump blesses something, he's going to have to pass it. Oh, I think he'd and, want to pass it. I, I, you know, Mitch, to his credit, has been on more or less, at least among the Republicans, on the leading edge of it. The problem is we had, you know, shocker. I mean, I'll quote Doug Jones, the only Democrat Senate candidate I've ever sent money to, who said yesterday he was frustrated because both sides were playing games. The Republicans mm-hmm. wanted a $500 billion blank check. That Trump said, oh, I'll be the oversight. Well, no, nobody wants that. I'll go to Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> and the Dems couldn't resist some policy maneuvering inside the money. In other words, you can get the money if you do certain things that we, we would like. Yeah. And they were both playing that game on each other. But this – people are so frustrated, and this is so important. I think even all their base instincts will get overcome. And I'll bet we get a bill today which will have the oversight and one thing, and the D's will back off some of their uh, social yeah. engineering, and we'll get the damn thing done. I don't think there's any winners if they're seen as dragging this thing out I any, agree. any longer. And I, and they must know that. And I think they must be hearing that from their members. You know, even as this goes on, the wheels of commerce, uh, as much as they're grinding, have to move forward. And that means we, too, have our obligations to move <laughs> the economy forward. That's right. We're patriots here, Axe. And we've yeah. got to. And in, in, ke- in keeping with that, we ought to deliver a couple of messages for our sponsors. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now. And it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects. Zero. For as long as needed, the technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D. 
HackerOne.com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. All right, what do we got, X? Yeah. Uh, You're an old debate hand. Let me ask you this. A guy named Mike, and I trust you're not writing your own questions now. I have an alibi. uh, Wrote in and said, do you think that President Trump will use the coronavirus as an excuse to not debate Joe Biden? That is a great question from the intelligently named Mike. I don't know. I think Trump is a weasel, and he'll be intrigued by the trickery of trying to use it to not debate Biden. But I also think Trump's greatest fear in life is that he appears as weak as he actually is. So my guess is Trump will go to the Sinatra playbook and be incredibly difficult about the debate and make it all about him and whether or not he'll debate with a big buildup. And then he will show up virus or not. But that is only a guess. You know, hard to predict crazy. What about you? I asked this question of Ron Klain who uh, I did a podcast with, my Axe Files podcast with, which you guys should check out, uh, because Klain was the, both the uh, Ebola czar for the uh, Obama administration, and he is a strategist for Joe Biden, uh, debate strategist. He said, and I think he's probably right, that uh, Donald Trump cannot resist an audience of 100 million. Mm-hmm. He will show up, and he will particularly show up if people call him a chicken for not showing up. I think it's impossible to believe that Trump won't show up for a debate. What do you got for me? Well, I got a great one. Harkening back to the old glory days when you used to uh, stomp around Chicago wearing a snap brim fedora with a little press card stuck in the band in your Chicago Tribune days. This is from Bruno. (laughs) Those were the days, yes. Yeah, covering the Chicago machine. This is from Bruno. Why, when Trump lies... By the way, Bruno sounds like the name of some of the guys I used to cover uh, (laughs) back then. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, he has the the vibe of the wards to him. Anyway, Bruno asks, why, when Trump lies during a press conference, doesn't any of the reporters, he is from Chicago, call him on the lies he tells? They all sit there quietly as if they work for Fox News. What are they afraid of? You know, let me just say a word for the press there. First of all, they're there at some risk to their own health. They come to try and elicit news that might be useful in terms of the crisis. And I think they have been challenging. You know, Peter Alexander challenged the president on his relentless pushing of this uh, unproven drug cocktail as some sort of miracle cure, highly irresponsible. It's caused a a run on these these medications uh, that are needed by people who have lupus and malaria and other diseases for which these drugs are approved. And the president exploded at him and t- said he was a terrible reporter and, uh, you know, just went on a uh, a rampage. And, uh, and then uh, Caitlin Collins from CNN followed up on this and on the appropriateness of the president's response. I think the media has been pretty good. And I, you know, I understand the frustration that people feel because the president often has his set of alternative facts. And this is a time when those can be very dangerous. But I think they've been assiduous, and I would defend them. And I feel particularly protective of the news media now because the news media is under siege. And in a democracy, in a free society, I think we're getting a lesson in how important reporters are and how much risk they put themselves at at times in order to make sure that we know what we should know. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Look, the country elected the guy president, and there are rules to how you cover the president. The problem is Trump doesn't play by any rules. He corrupts the office, but we can't let that corrupt the institution of the media. I do applaud their kind of courage in, in, in risking the disease and being there. I also think this move toward more filtering of Trump. You can cover the Trump news. You don't have to cover it live and give him an unlimited platform. That pushback is growing, and I think it is appropriate. So Trump needs a new rule book, and the media are, for the most part, just trying to play it straight. And it's hard for them because he doesn't follow the rules that presidents are supposed to follow of some decorum and some some truthfulness. But anyway, we uh, it's an institution we got to defend. Let's also encourage people to keep sending their questions in during this period. Many of you are home. You've got a lot of time to think questions up, mm-hmm. and uh, we're eager to hear from you. So just write us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com, and please continue to do what you have done. We are almost at 3,000 ratings on iTunes, or you can write a comment, too. They help. They tell the iTunes algorithm to put our podcast in front of more people. We're always trying to gain listenership. We're now in the 1% acts. We've made it to the 1% of all podcast listeners. But we're we're greedy. We want to go higher so the Democrats can tax us. So uh, anything you can do on the uh, rating system, we appreciate on any platform. <laughs> I find I find you taxing at times. I, I, anyway, <laughs> here's another message from one of our great sponsors. Last call. All right, what do you got? What's your last call there, drinking buddy? Listen, man, we can't we can't leave without uh, saying a word about Senator Rand Paul, a medical doctor who was being tested for coronavirus and continued along his way. The day he was he got a positive result back, he was at the Senate gym. Why the gym was open is another question. And swimming in the Senate pool exposed several of his colleagues who are now isolated. I mean, what is up with that? He wasn't, he, he may have been the least popular senator before all this, but he certainly sealed his, uh, his status with this. Yeah, I think going into isolation, having nobody want to talk to him will not be that big a lifestyle change for the senator, but I wish him a full recovery. I want to do a little quick salute to my hometown of Detroit. Private sector initiatives all over the country are trying to help with some of the medical supplies. And Ford has turned their advanced manufacturing center, uh, the cutting edge of 3D printing uh, and a lot of other prototyping techniques uh, in Redford, Michigan, loose. They announced today, this week, they've already made 70,000 face masks and they're going to be ramping up production immediately to 100,000 protective face masks a week. They're plugged into 3M and General Electric to use their mass production know-how to be able to spin up quickly ventilator production. So uh, when America's in trouble, they turn to my hometown, Detroit, and I know the other companies are involved, companies all over the country. So I just want to salute those uh, engineers and technicians who went back to work in crowded laboratories, taking some risks themselves to be able to put productive might to work. And Ford's done a tremendous job this week, and I know others will soon follow. Amen to that. And uh, you stay safe, brother, you and your family. And, and to all our listeners, uh, please be sensible, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, brother. You too. Stay safe. We're thinking of driving out to Arizona to move into your pool, so uh, get ready for us. Our six-year-old is looking forward. <laughs> All right, pal. See you next week. All right. I, let me order my masks. Okay. See you. <laughs> Bye.